This morning, uh, we're going to be in Acts 15, verse 22, and the title of the message is Do Well. Uh, this is taken from uh, a study I did through Acts a couple years ago, but I took one little part and kind of blew it out into something that I feel like is uh, a Father's Day exhortation from our Father in heaven. Um, Acts is about, obviously, the church as it gets started and the work that God does through the Holy Spirit through these men. Uh, takes these ordinary men and women and uses them to really uh, change the world and, and change for a lot of people uh, the way they see God, uh, the way they perceive God. Uh, the world had gotten very religious at that time. But God wants us to do well, and I think as we're going to see this morning, uh, hopefully, that we all want to do well in life. I, I don't know any one of us who doesn't really want to do well, I think it would be foolish to want to do poorly. Perhaps, uh, uh, you know, as you get to be a teenager or at certain times in life, you think it might be cool to do poorly. It's cooler to sit back in the bus. It's cooler. Yeah, the cooler kids get F's and the kids that get A's aren't as cool. But that really is, uh, is, is quite foolish. Um, I wish I knew that back in the day. I wish I knew that when I knew now. Doesn't everyone say that, right? The youth, uh, youth is wasted on the young, right? But Matthew 25, 31 through 46, Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him. I wish all the nations would read that now and, and come to realize that. But he says, He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And they, these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And that's a heavy part of scripture. It really reveals a lot about the heart of the matter, even in people who do good and don't do good. You know, the wicked said, Lord, when did we not do it? They're saying we did it all the time. We had social justice. We had programs in the government. We had all these things to take care of the poor. And he said, you did not do it unto the least of these. You did not do it to me. And then the righteous said, God, when did we do it? When did we do it? And he's saying, well, you did it without even knowing at times. You did it without trying to get fanfare. You did it for me. You did it out of love for me. And the righteous do this well and do well, sometimes without even trying. Sometimes it becomes a part of our nature as believers to do well 
In fact, people will come and say, oh, thank you for this and thank you for that. Or you did a good job. And you're like, I don't even remember doing that. I don't even remember saying that. It's scary, uh, especially having uh, the title of pastor and what people remember that I say. And they said, oh, I remember when you said this. I'm like, I don't remember saying that. <laughs> uh, if it was good, maybe it wasn't me. But Galatians 6.10 says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. You know, the Bible talks a lot about family. The Bible talks a lot about faith and ministry. And it also shows us, especially uh, in the exhortation for who should be a pastor or a leader, is that their family life and their ministry life are really intertwined. And really that's the thing for all of us. We're all in ministry. That There's not a distinction, as we might think, between our Monday through Friday life and our Saturday and Sunday life. That the same person who goes to work is the same person on the weekend and the same person who ministers while it's really an outflow of your life. And I think a lot of us try and put it on as just these external works. And we say, didn't we do it all the time? And God says, you didn't do it to me. That it's really gonna be a natural outflow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that doing good, doing those to the household of faith is important. You know, the Bible says, if we don't take care of our family, that we're worse than an unbeliever. Because even unbelievers, even heathens, take care of their families. But even more so, the family of God. If we have an opportunity to bless a fellow believer, we should take it. We have an opportunity to bless someone, even if they don't go to our church and they have a different denomination on the wall. Man, take it. Because if we ignore even the household of faith, man, do we have any faith? Like the Bible talks about, do not forsake together uh, the gathering together of the saints. But doing well requires an opportunity to do so. And I read this morning, uh, I think it was this morning in my devotional about um, you know, how can God even use me here? And it says, well, God can certainly use you where you are rather than where you aren't. That a lot of us have these opportunities around us day after day that perhaps we've glossed over, perhaps we've missed, that a lot of the times these opportunities are obvious. And if they're not, we should seek them out. Because in order to do well, we actually need to do well. We need to do. There's an active part in that. And again, sometimes that opportunity is right in front of us. Physically, sometimes it's right in front of us spiritually, and sometimes we're too close to the, the trees to see the forest, so to speak. But man, we need to do well, whether it's right in front of us or whether it's down the road, but we need to seek it out and to do it. So if we don't do it, well, we can't do well then. But doing well growing up, I don't know what you thought about it. I thought about school, sports, behavior at home, you know, uh, whether I would do the good thing when my parents were paying attention and maybe not do the good thing when they weren't paying attention. But what did you want to... What did you want to do when you grew up, when you were little? What did you want to do well in your life about? I remember wanting to be an Air Force pilot, and then I found out you needed to have uh, perfect vision. And when I got glasses, well, that went out the window, and I also knew it required running. Although, from what I hear, the Air Force isn't as hard in boot camp as the other one, so I probably could have made it through there. I don't know. I can't say that for sure. Uh, but I'm thankful for the men and women who have. I want to be a hockey player. I want to be, you know, yes, the kids want to be, Mia wants to be a school teacher, an EMS, a firefighter. She wants to do everything at once. Um, but as you get older, don't your standards change? Like I said, once I found out about needing glasses, well, I said, okay, well, I won't be a fighter pilot, so I'll do this. And then I realized how much work that would take. And then I said, okay, what about this? And then I found out all the work that would take. I remember wanting to be a, a 3D 
visual effects guy for movies or things and I saw just how much that would take and how much of my life it would eat up. They said, no thanks, not for me. Perhaps you want to be a millionaire and now that you've gone through your life and you realize you'll never make it to a million, maybe you want to just have a half million. Maybe you'll be fine with just winning $10. I don't know. Perhaps you wanted to own or start your own business, but now you're content with just being stuck in a cubicle. Your big dreams maybe were replaced by little dreams, or maybe they're not. Maybe your dreams are, you're doing well at them. Maybe you've become very good at what you do and you enjoy what you're doing. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to be successful. There's nothing wrong with being uh, successful. You look at a lot of the men in the Bible were some of the most successful people. Job, Abraham, Joseph, second in all of Egypt. That's pretty successful. Imagine being vice president. There's nothing wrong with being successful. But I was never president. So <laughs> how many people get to do that in this world and you got to be that close? But in life, are you doing well? Are you successful in, in your day-to-day -day life? Or are you just getting by? What do you want? Don't, don't we all want to be successful in some way? Don't we all, all want to do well? <clears throat> I think the question, especially as believers, comes down to what's our metric for that? Who determines what's the best? Who determines what doing well is for you and I? Is it the magazine of the supermarket says you must look like this or act like this or have this and then you're successful? Because we see that all these people who attain what the world thinks is success aren't, are, tend to be the least happy, tend to be the most angry. But what does God dream for you? You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said, it is good. They stepped back and said, this is good. Not that I just did a good job and he's patting himself on his back, but the things that he made are actually good. But the problem is the fall happened. We don't live in a good world anymore. We live in a fallen world. Yeah, there's still remnants of that good thing. We see life, we see birth, but we also see death. We also see deterioration. We also see sin, and the whole creation groans under that. Creation wasn't groaning before the fall creation was singing the bible even talks about star singing and there's so many things we could go on that but man if we're not living in the good world we're living in the fallen world if we're going to do well i think we need to get our eyes onto what is really good and to let go of the things that are perhaps somewhat good and hold on to the things that are great i've heard it said about food you know when you cook your meat um you know, there's raw, rare, raw, rare, medium, medium well, well done. Um, I had a little bit of red in the, barely a little bit of red, and Ashley called it raw the other day, and I thought it was funny, <laughs> just because the germs are so far off. I'm like looking for the red, and yet, uh, you know, my dad will like meat that's very rare and very red. I've heard other people say, just walk it through a warm room on the way out. Don't eat? I'm like, oh, no, 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 not for me, thanks. <laughs> I need to have it cooked. But man, our lives, are they just walk through a warm room? Do we just walk through the warm room on Sunday and we're not very cooked, we're not very well done, and not that we're burnt to a crisp and, and not delicious anymore. And if we're honest, there's probably gonna be some rare and raw things in our lives still. But in Revelation 3, 14 through 22, the angel of the church, Jesus says, and to the angel of the church of Laodiceans, right? These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. 
because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Man, we seek so much counsel in life for things. 401k, healthcare, work, what to do. But man, let's get some counsel from God. He says, buy for me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Therefore, I stand at the door and knock. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That the Laodicean church, Jesus says, was lukewarm. You're not well done. You're bare. The microwave stopped short on you. You're still kind of cold. You think you've got it all together because you've got money, because you've got clothes, because you've got education. You think you can see what's coming down the road. You think you are wise in your own eyes. But he says, I counsel you, don't buy money from the stock market. Buy gold from me. Don't worry about what Gucci has on the rack. Buy white garments from me. Don't worry about what the world is teaching as wisdom. Come receive wisdom from me, and then you won't be naked. You won't be blind, and you'll be wealthy. But again, that doing well takes effort. We need to receive the counsel of the Lord to do well if we want to do well in his sight. We can't come to him with our own efforts and our own desires and think that he's going to somehow accept them through do it now and ask for forgiveness later sort of deal. But doing well takes help because doing well is subjective to what or whom we're doing well for. At work sometimes, I ask my boss, what, well, what exactly do you want me to do on this project? You know, I've, we've had a meeting, a kickoff meeting, we've had uh, discussions about it, but I'm still, sometimes I'm not clear on exactly what the objective is. And so I'll go to my boss, well, what are you looking to see in this? Other times I'll have a vision for it and I'll bring it and it'll be like, this is perfect. But other times I just really need, uh, I wanna do well and I wanna get what they're going for and we only have a certain amount of time to do it, so I don't waste the time. But sincerely, I wanna do well. And so I'll go to him and say, well, what, what are the objectives here? What, what would you say would do well here? And I think as believers, perhaps we don't always do that as much as we should with the Lord. We come together with our own thing like uh, Cain and Abel and wonder why we're not accepted. But Psalm 8410, I actually read this this morning, and it says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I had a dream, not as grandiose as Martin Luther's, I don't think. Martin Luther King Jr.'s, rather, not Martin Luther. But uh, I had a dream once, and it was just a dream, but it gave me, I felt like, a little taste of heaven. Um, and again, you know, I'm sure heaven is totally better than this, but I was in this room, I was sweeping up the floor. There was a window, and there was, a, like, linen drapes there. I don't know, I'm weird. But... It was, it was very warm and very pleasant, and there was a warm light coming through the window, and I just remember hearing singing and praising, and I just got the sense that this was heaven. I'm not saying I went to heaven or I did, you know, I'm just, this is just a dream, don't get me wrong here. But I remember just sweeping there and just feeling so content just to be there, even if I was just sweeping up this floor in heaven. I know in heaven, I'm not going to sweep up the floor. I'm going to be singing and praising the Lord and, and fellowshipping, but sincerely, man, just doing that right there, I just felt so content. If I can just do this, and this is heaven, then I'll be happy. And I think for us as believers, we need to, be, to seek to be that doorkeeper. We need to seek to be that janitor in heaven, that lowly position. 
Jesus said, the last will be first and the first will be last. And even though John the Baptist was least in the kingdom of heaven. But at church, is the greeter the doorkeeper? Perhaps it's the evangelist. Perhaps it's the pastor or teacher. You know, the evangelist shows people to the door. The pastor teacher, like the good shepherd, lets the sheep go in and out of good pasture, is the doorkeeper. I think sometimes we have it backwards because the Christian life is not a ladder of accomplishment or promotion, but truly, truly seeking to bow down further and further in the Lord's presence. I think sometimes people ascend into some throne of a kingdom on earth, whether it's in the world or even in the church, they receive a lot of praise and a lot of glory, and they've done it on their own accord. They've gotten there by who they've sought after or what they've taught people. They've given people what they want to hear, like a false teacher. They've given them what their itching ears want to hear, and they've become this mega church pastor. And I'm not saying you can't be a mega church pastor and truly be humble. There are others who have sought the Lord and gotten lower and lower, and God exalts them. You know, the Bible says that uh, promotion comes uh, not from the east or from the west, but from the Lord. And God allows all these things that happen, and God uses them. But man, are we seeking that high position, or are we seeking the low position? And I'm not going to read it for time, but in 2 Samuel 6, 11 through 22, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. David goes out with the Ark of the uh, Covenant. They continue to move it. They um, have a procession. He's got the altar. They do sacrifices. And he decides to dance before the Lord. And they have this worship procession. And he dances. And it's hot. And he's down to, you know, his shorts and a t-shirt and his sandals. The king of all Israel. David is slain in ten thousands and all thousands. But David is dancing and singing to the Lord. Apparently there's young maidens there there's other people around there's people of israel and this is the king the king was supposed to be exalted and stoic and he gets home and his wife michael saul's daughter says oh look at you king and he says i'll be even more undignified than this that i wasn't doing it i didn't even notice anyone was around me but i'm gonna sing and i'm gonna dance to the lord and you're certainly not gonna stop me and that needs to be us a lot of times as we climb the Christian ladder, which doesn't exist, we seek more dignity for ourselves. We think, oh, I'm the pastor, I'm the elder, I'm the been a believer 20 years, I can't get down and cry in church. Why not? I'm not saying be out of control and draw attention to yourself. David drew attention to himself, but he was not seeking that attention. He was pointing it to the Lord. And there are certain circles that do do more attention getting things. I think they, you know, only God knows. But there's others that don't have any emotion at all. And I wonder, if you really realize how much God has done for you, would you not stand up? Would you not raise your hands? Would you not sing? Would you not dance? Would you not bow down? Because again, in this world, we seek more dignity for ourselves, better clothes, more money, more fame, more power, more possessions. We even seek less work, retiring early, that the most successful people are those who work less, right? And there's nothing wrong with retiring from the worldly work. There's nothing wrong with putting money aside and having an inheritance for your children. It shows the Bible teaches that. But I don't see the apostles or the disciples retiring from spiritual ministry. In fact, I see them continuing on until death, and a lot of times until they are murdered for their ministry. Now, thankfully, men like Chuck Smith, Billy Graham, and Dr. Stanley 
haven't been murdered for their faith. I mean, maybe Dr. that happened to Dr. Stanley. He's still living. I hope not. But these men served God until the last day. Gray hair, wheelchair, serving God. Yeah, Billy Graham wasn't out doing 20 crusades a year anymore, but he was still making content. He was still getting out there. He was still uh, living a life by example. Because doing well is more than starting well, more than getting to the second period in the game. You have to finish well. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says, Do you not know that those who run in a race run all run, but one who receives the prize run in such a way that you may obtain it? And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, I followed the Stanley Cup this year for the first time in probably 15, 20 years, and I really got into it. And it was really great to see it in the ups and downs, a lot of really good series back and forth. But these guys uh, spend their whole lives training for this one moment to get the Stanley Cup. And the, the goalie one was a rookie, a really cool story there. Uh, my nephew uh, now plays NCAA Division Three hockey. He's been playing since he's a, a little boy. He's now gotten himself to this high level through all his hard work because he's disciplined himself he's gone to games all week he's done practices all week he's done things his entire life to get to that point plus he has the skill but paul says man as believers we need to be doing the same thing one focus one goal that's getting to heaven that's doing well and that's finishing well and with that we're going to not hang on to the things of the world to that are going to slow us down that maybe aren't bad but they get in the way of that heavenly vision for our lives. Like Luke 14, 10 through 11, Jesus says, When you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invites you, invited you comes and says, Your friend, go up higher, then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Forever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And a lot of the times, to get ahead, so to speak, in our walk of faith, we need to be humble. We need to be the one at work who's willing to do the things that no one else is going to do. We need to be the one at work to shut our mouth even when we don't want to shut our mouth. We need to be the one at home to serve even when we haven't been served. And that's where real greatness comes from. Jesus took off his robe and he washed their feet. Because our ideas of greatness are not the same as Jesus's. The world's idea of greatness is one who goes by an expensive chariot. But God's ideas are the one who, like we read recently, run up to that chariot and ask them if they understand what they're reading. Let's go on. Longest intro ever. <laughs> God, we just thank you for this uh, word this morning to do well. God, that you made the earth. And God, like we'll see, God, you have plans for us from before the earth. Like we read even then at the day of judgment for the, the, the inheritance from before the, the earth was formed. God, inheritance is you, but God, you also have a reward for us. But we're not interested in that. We just want to get to heaven and be with you. And we know that our good works don't get us there. It's what you do to the cross. And because of that, God, we how could we do anything else? In the light of that, God, in light of all you have for us and all your perfect plan, as we even just get a taste of it, how could we focus our lives on anything but? And help us not to. And God, bring those around us to know you. Help us seek those opportunities, God. And in your word this morning, God, would you encourage us? And uh, God, help us to do well. And where we haven't done well, help us to do well. We love you, God. In Jesus' name. So let's read Acts 22. I'm sorry. 
uh, verses 22 through 29 in Acts 15. It says, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some of you, that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit to, to, and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from the things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. We see this couple verses, these few paragraphs here. Too short to make their own book in the Bible, but this is the epistle to the Gentiles in Antioch. Syria and Cilicia. The Corinthians, the Thessalonians, the Galatians, they got a lot more. These guys just got a very simple and straight and to the point message. But it says that there was these leading men among the brethren, Paul, Barnabas, Judas, and Silas. That these men were leading men among the brethren, uh, not necessarily because they were chosen, but because uh, they were being the leaders. That they were doing the work. They were doing well and following the Lord. And I find that in life that a lot of times those who Sometimes people get into leadership positions and they get there from nepotism or other things and they don't really do so well. They're not really the best leader and the best leaders are the ones who have been doing the work um, uh, for the whole time. I think of guys like, even like my boss who's been done the work and been promoted year after year after year and he makes a good boss because he knows what it's like to be on the other end of it. He knows, you know, he knows the battleground, so to speak. But these men were leaders, just like David was in the field with flocks. These men were among the brethren. They weren't sitting around pontificating somewhere. That these men had been around Jesus, had been around the ministry, had been around from the beginning, and were doing the work. Now let's talk about the cream rises to the top. That you can always tell the best workers and those who are really the leaders and really deserve promotion because uh, it's evident. They're already doing it. They don't need the title. They don't need the, um, the praise. Again, like Psalm 75 says, for exaltation neither comes from the east or the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. That man in the church, especially the people that God truly allows to exalt it. And it's not necessarily the person who's in the pulpit. A lot of times the person who's exalted is the simple guy who doesn't have any of that, that God handles all that. We don't need to strive. If God wants us to have better, we'll have better. If God wants us to have less, We'll have less. Paul says, I've learned to abound and be abased. First Timothy 5.22 says, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. And First Timothy 3.10 says, But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. I mean, especially when it comes to leadership in the church, we should see them doing the work. We should see them pass the test of faith in their life before we quickly lay hands on them. Because again, number one, they could fall into the snare of the devil and we don't want them to be hurt by that burden. But also we want to make sure that they're the people who truly care for the sheep. But the guys doing the work are the leaders. That's sort of the opposite of the world. A lot of times in the world, the leaders are out playing golf. 
And not that they, you know, maybe haven't earned it or deserved it at some point. But I think a lot of the times it's, man, you work your way out of a job. And that's a good thing, especially spiritually, to work your way out of a job that you might raise up other people that you can say, I don't have to do anything here anymore. God's got it handled. I can go and be effective elsewhere. But sadly, sometimes uh, the church follows the 80-20 rule where 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. And those are the true leaders. Because doing well is being a true leader. And doing well doesn't care about a title. Doing well doesn't care about recognition. doesn't care about numbers. It cares about people. There's the scourge of the assistant pastor pointing, as I've heard it said, where assistant pastors all standing around in a circle and they're not doing anything and someone else is doing all the work. Well, if you guys are assisting, what are you assisting? Are you just assisting yourself to a bagel in the morning? I don't know. But a lot of times the pointing of fingers. Well, yeah, a leader does need to, to delegate and to point and say, but I think sometimes it can be an excuse for laziness. Like the union job site jokes where there's 10 men on the job but only one guy is working, right? Because delegation, again, is one thing, but pawning off responsibility is another. And as leaders, in order to do well, we need to take responsibility. Even if it's not technically in our job description, we need to take that title. I remember seeing pastors all the time going to, with a plunger running around. It's like, no, as a deacon, no, no, let me grab that from you. You've got more important things to do than this. You've got to plunge people's hearts and lives. Let me handle the toilet. But it says that please the church to send them. And what a great deal to be pleased with other believers and see them grow and want to support them in their mission that God has given them. We see parachurch ministries, missionaries, youth, our friends, etc. As they go out and serve the Lord, we should not only pray for them, but we should rejoice with them. We should send them. Hmm. Think of some friends who go to China. You know, the little that we've been able to, to give them, I, they're totally supported by people giving. Now they have jobs over there and they try and work and but sincerely, man, to be able to send someone to go is, is a big deal. And those who have blessed us along the way, coming here or elsewhere, and enabled us to do ministry in more ways, it's a blessing. Because the reward is not just ours, this reward is theirs as well. I think sometimes if we don't have the position that they have and we covet and we want, we miss out on that blessing. And the work of God doesn't come in the same way that it would have if we all just put our hands together and worked for it. We're so willing to put our hands together in the world and build a Tower of Babel. But as the church, sometimes we don't come together. We want to build our own towers instead of coming together to build God's kingdom. But does it please us to promote others, to bless others, to encourage and equip others? Or do we just want to get ahead in our own ministry, in our own life, financially or physically? You know, kids always tend to think that they're stuck somewhere in their own town. There's, town. there's something to do in this town. Well, there's nothing to do in that town either. It's just a different town. There's something to do here, and you can find it and figure it out. But doing well means putting others first. You know, the wrath of man cannot produce the righteousness of God. We cannot force and bring things and get people to respect us. I think that's the problem with dictatorships and certain forms of government is that they know fear is a good motivator, and so they use it to rule with an iron fist. But 24 says, Some went out from us, and they troubled you with words. That there's people that came out of their fellowship and went out and, and met with these people in uh, Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. And maybe they thought they were doing well, but they came with troubling words. Well, you're not doing this, and you're not doing that, and you need to follow this, and not eat that, and eat this, and do this, and do that. And that's not the case, man. 
The gospel is one that's freeing. But man, how many times have people gone out for us for rumors, backbiting, and false doctrine? That is not doing well. It is not your job to have the gift of uh, criticism. Right? There might be a word of correction or things somewhere that you might need to say to someone, but it's to that person. There's so much gossip in the church that it's no wonder that the church has rotted foundations and barely stands up on its own. Instead of gossiping, why don't we help? And remember, just because someone comes to you and they claim the name of Jesus, they have a degree, a degree or a decree, doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. Doesn't mean they have the Spirit of the Lord on that area of Scripture. Because I'm shocked, and maybe I shouldn't be, that what I hear on TV, or even out of cir- certain circles of Christianity, people get hung up on peck doctrine, even personal convictions, and try and place them on others. They put a trip on people, but really they become like wolves, biting and devouring and taking down anyone in their way. Drawing people onto themselves instead of to the Lord. Saw this video of this televangelist. I won't call him a pastor because he's not. He's just somebody on TV. But he's confronted about his jet and his lifestyle. And he got very angry. Again, there's nothing wrong with being successful. But I don't know that you need a private jet. I don't need, know that you need a Cadillac, brand new Cadillac Escalade. My wife's got a, a, a nice truck. It was very expensive. It's 10 years old now, but I didn't pay a dime for us. It was given it to us. I've fixed it and taken care of it and things like that. But man, it's one thing if you're paid on your own and you have a job. And I don't take a salary or anything. I've never taken a salary from, well, I took like $10 salary from church when I was assistant, but I wasn't like pastor or anything. But I've taken, I've had stipends that were given to me or housing allowances. But that meant a lot. And I hope that if that case ever comes back, it still means a lot because it's one thing to earn that money on your own. It's another thing when people donate that money and they're giving it to the Lord directly and then you take it and buy a private jet with it. That's fleecing. You don't need to be on TV. You need to be in jail. But the worst part is is the people that get hurt from that. But Paul says, we gave no such commandment. This is false authority. These things are made up. These things are twisted. And like David says, I came to you in the name of the Lord. Show me your leadership badge by your behavior and the fruits from it. You want to come and teach me something new? Well, I'm all ears. But man, your life better match up to it. I'm not saying you have to be perfect because I'm not perfect either. Far from it. But are you willing to learn? Are you willing to be molded and changed? And are you willing to stand your ground when necessary? That's what doing well is. Not always giving over, but also not always giving up. Because doing well means knowing, keeping, and teaching the commands of God. But with humility as well. It means wanting to help and encourage others in them, not to tear them down by them. Sometimes even if I have to give a hard message or I have to discipline my kids, and it's not in a moment of anger, it's because I want them to do well. I tell them, I'm, I'm teaching you this. I'm showing you this because I want you to do better. I want you to be safe. I, I yelled at you to get down quickly because I had to because you're, you could have gotten hurt. And I don't want you to get hurt. And that should be the heart of anyone when we teach the word of God is that we want to encourage others. We may want to correct them. We need to bring a hard word. But sincerely, we, I want to see other people get the little bit that I get and go further 
than I've gone. And I haven't gone that far, but I want to go further. I want others to come further. I want others to get. And man, this world is passing away and the things of it. And it's not worth it. It's not wrong to have it if God gives it to you. But it's not in your best interest to live for it. Verse 25, it says, It seemed good to us. The same word is pleased in verse 22. To be of opinion, to think, to judge. A lot of this judging, man. We need to judge what's good in order to do well. We need to see if the things laid before us really are good or are not good. Because we can't do well if we're wasting time doing things that are not as good. And it says, It seemed good to send chosen men. It seemed good from the Holy Spirit and to us. That we don't always need a direct word from the Lord to do something. It's very good, especially in every situation. Seek the Lord and seek word on what to do. But man, sometimes, if it just seems like it's a good thing to do, begin to do it. And God will make it clear if it's not. Also be just as quick to stop doing it as well. I mean, sometimes things are much simpler than we make it out to be. See someone who needs. See someone who needs a Bible or needs just a friend or needs a phone call or just, it just seems like a good thing to do that day. Go ahead and do it. As it's been said, I've heard, sometimes it takes more Holy Spirit to do the dishes than to, do the, than to preach the gospel. And that's the truth. Again, Galatians 6.10, as we have the opportunity to do good, we should do it. And sometimes we get so caught up in what is right and wrong. Sometimes we get our heads so stuck in doctrine that we fail to do the good. Like Jesus said, Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. You know, you're mad. I, I healed this man's hand and you want to kill me? We're missing out on doing the good. And I think sometimes, at least for myself, it's usually because I don't want to do the good. And so I start to rationalize and have an argument within myself about is it right or is it wrong? And it's really just because I don't want to do it. And it's this false humility. Well, I'm going to pray about it, brother. Do you really have to? Do you really need to pray about that? I think about a lot of the opportunities and things I've had that I prayed about. I'm glad I did. And there's other ones I just wish I, I stepped out and did. And other times I go, man, wouldn't it be good? And this is a selfish one, but I think, man, if God's called us out here to Montana, and if one of my friends did that, shouldn't I just go with them? Shouldn't I just go do it? I mean, obviously pray about it. And we've got some friends that are planning on coming out here with us. I think sometimes we overcomplicate it. I'm not saying you need to move out here. Anyone listening needs to move out here. You're all welcome to. And I think it might be a good thing. I think sometimes it's the obvious thing. Perhaps a friend wants to go out evangelizing. Well, let me pray about it. Let's go. I think it's because we tend to cling to successes in life. Places that we've done well. I've been doing so well at work lately. I can't quit my job. I finally got the house in order. I can't sell it. I've got a friend who those things were happening and then she was led to sell her house and something came up and now it seems like perhaps the Lord is bringing her elsewhere because she was open to seeing that man, everything was going well, but now God has a different plan for me or a different plan than I expected really. Because doing well requires throwing out our plans, our accomplishments and things we've done well, but done on our own or, or not led by the spirit. Or even if they were led by the spirit, we can't cling to it all the time. So much of the church is so stuck in the past because they can't let go of it. And again, there's nothing wrong with hymns, but sometimes the church is so caught up in hymns that the worship is dead. 
God doesn't care if you use an organ or an electric guitar or a banging cymbal or just your voice. He just wants you to sing to him. But if you're only worried about the organ playing, you're not really singing to him. Philippians 3.8, Paul says, I indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. And again, not that there's this false humility or piety of just throwing things out and getting rid of things in our life, like that Netflix special, just get rid of stuff. I love getting rid of stuff, but I'm saying I don't, because then I, if I have to buy it again, that's such a waste. But sincerely in life, if these things hold us back, or keep us back, throw them out. Again, is it a good thing in the garden that God prepared from before the foundations of the earth? Or is this just something that has to be done to get by and get through the fall? Because sometimes we just need to do the well. We just need to do the good. James 4.17, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Sometimes, we just got to do it. Pray about it, sure. But at some point, get up out of your prayer closet and do it. it says verse 26, Men who have risked their lives for the name of Jesus. What have we risked? Popularity? Friendship? Personal gain? Or even our physical life? I'm sure each of us have risked a lot. And risk a lot sometimes in life. Sometimes people, we joke about all the casinos, people risk they're $5 to try and win 10 and they lose the $5. Mm-hmm. Man, for the Lord, how much do we risk for him? Because when we risk and take a gamble, so to speak, on the Lord, it's never a gamble. It's never a gamble. You think he can't repay you? Mm-hmm. You think you quit your job for the Lord? If he's truly leading you to do that, that he's not going to give you something better? Maybe he won't pay as much, but maybe you'll be freer. Maybe you'll be happier. We've got this great house that we rent and we don't own it. But man, I know God's something greater. It's not going to be that big because I can't afford anything that big. But I know it'll be better. I won't have to worry about a landlord over me. I'll just have to worry about the bank coming to get me. But verse 28 says, seem good to the Holy Spirit and us. And man, if it seems good to God to send us, shouldn't it seem good for us to go? Isaiah 6, 8, 9 says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go. And tell this people. If God considers it good, it's good. He's looked back and said it is good. And when God gives us something to do, begins to lay something on our heart, put something in front of us, a plan, a purpose, it should seem good to us. And again, like I taught, um, kind of touched on in a topical message about something the Lord's kind of shown me about practical matters and trying to be better in practical things. It, it kind of ties in with the helps ministry to where someone comes in and perhaps they have all these bills to pay. And so one of the first things that they would do is, well, let's lay out all your bills and see what you have. Well, you don't need that Lexus, so why don't you sell the Lexus? And you don't need that, why don't you sell that? Oh, now you've got the money to, to meet your bills. And I think sometimes as believers, we hang on to all these things and God says, well, I've made a way for you to go. Like when we wanted to move out here, we couldn't bring everything we had. And I did the math and I had a crazy idea about getting a trailer and I'm talking with a friend. And he goes, well, why don't you get a trailer? And I go, you didn't just say that. because. But then again, it was fun. It was an adventure. And sometimes there's a practical way, a practical puzzle that if we just rearrange it a little bit, oh, this is paid off. This need is met. And now I'm free to go. 
But a lot of times we don't want, we can't see that because we don't want to have our lives changed up. So we try and going after something that will take longer when we can just get rid of it and handle it now. We can go and sell what we have, give to the poor, and follow him. And then God says that is good. And like God said to Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. He says, no way, Lord. God says, I've called it good. I've called it clean. It's okay. As we get closer to a close here, Jesus talks about a new wineskin. And there's sometimes there's new movements. But like Pastor Chuck said, sometimes it would take a long time to trickle down. Sometimes these things that God begins to do take a while to trickle through our lives. Things that he's birthed in us years ago take a while to come out to the surface. But when they do, man, don't they bring life? And don't you want others to taste and see how good it is? But he says that there's no greater burden than these necessary things. That there are some necessary things in our lives for us to do well. There are things that we should do and things that we shouldn't do to do well. There are things and rules to live by and things and rules that don't really matter. And he says, if you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Don't worry about the burdens and the trips that others have put on you. Just do well. Be concerned more about the important things, about pleasing God and pleasing others. Colossians 2, 16-23 says, Let no one judge you in food or drink, or guarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things that come. I'm always so, I don't want to say disappointed, but I don't know how to say it. It's not, not like disappointed, but like grieved or burdened or just, ah, like, come on. When I see people that go back to the old ways, who go, it starts out as a little interest, in these feasts and these things that there's nothing wrong with, but then they get to a point where they're totally caught up in it and they think that they have to keep the feast. And if you're not keeping the feast, then you missed out. I forget when Lent is. I have no idea what this stuff is. I almost forgot it was Easter this year. I'm like, oh, I got to get a Good Friday message going. Because it doesn't matter. They're important, but sincerely, if I forget it's Easter, I'm not a bad Christian. I just didn't, wasn't paying attention to the calendar. But I don't want to forget Easter, so don't get me wrong in that. But he says, which are a shadow of things to come, the substances of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, intruding to those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head. Um, basically saying, these things are all vanity. They're all, they were all meant to point to Christ. So if we're not going to Christ, we don't need these feasts and festivals because Christ is the feast. Christ is the festival. But doing well in your life is a life lived by the Spirit and instructed by the Scriptures that just like the wind blows, we don't know where it comes and where it's going from. Same as the man and woman who was led by the Spirit. We don't really know how we got here or where we're going next week. But we know that God is leading us. And we let the Scriptures be our guide and our anchor in that journey. We're not just floating around willy-nilly. Oh, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go over there. Oh, and be a free spirit. But sincerely, we are led freely by the Spirit. Like Joshua says, if it seems evil for you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Think about our upbringing, perhaps what we were raised into what was right and wrong and the way we should live our lives and perhaps even the way some of our family lives their lives. That's not necessarily bad. It's good and successful. But man, we are no longer on that side of the Jordan. We are as believers on the other side. And we're not going to live our life after the God of our fathers. 
the career that they went after. We're going to forsake that career if the Lord would lead us to do so, to seek Him and serve God. Not yet, son. We're, we're going to be done in a little bit. Okay? Yeah. All right, well, we'll have lunch in a little while. But it's a promise that you will do well. God says you will do well. A lot of times we doubt Him that, oh, if I let go of this, what's going to happen? If God's leading us to let go of it, He's got it covered. He's already got it figured out. I already know Jacob's going to have lunch later. I know I don't need to give him goldfish now, that he'll be okay if he just waits a little while. That's the same thing with God with us. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear. Those are the things that the Gentiles seek after. For your Heavenly Father knows about it before you even do. Because doing well and doing good are a no-brainer, and I think we all want to do well. And if we just listen to what God says and do what He says and seek to live a life led by the Spirit and not by our fear, that we will do well. Others might think we're doing bad. You did what? You moved where? You let go of what? You sold what? You said what? You know you can't say that. You know that's hateful, that's bigotry. It's not. We must do well. We must choose the well that God says is well. Because the world's, world's well is bitterness, but God's well is life, and it does not run out. Because God's word is serious when it says what it says about the things of life, marriage, purity, money, faith. It's not joking around when you read the scripture. It says that the one who continues in these things has forfeited their inheritance. Because if we obey God's word, we may still end up in trouble. But at least then we know that the trouble is because we've done the right thing and not because we've messed up. Because we're in trouble because he allowed it. He's brought it to us. It's not us being in a mess because we've made the mess. Because when we make the mess, sometimes God says, you clean it up. But when he allows the mess in our life, he says, don't you worry about it. I will take care of it. Because doing well, even if we failed, we can still do well again. A righteous man falls seven times, but what's the difference between the righteous and the wicked? The righteous gets up because the Holy Spirit lifts him up. Because doing well requires the Holy Spirit. Doing well requires the removal of the burdens in our lives. We can't do well if we're hanging on to things that weigh us down. Doing well requires holy direction and holy dedication. And when God says, this is the well, and this is the good, and this is the way to go, we need to stay dedicated to it. Because like Jesus said, the way is narrow, and few there are that find it. And my heart breaks for all those in the church and all those in Christendom who haven't quite gotten to that narrow path. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm struggling, and I'm trying to find it myself. Don't feel like I'm trying to say that I've got there, but I feel like a lot of times I see people just coming and going again, lukewarm, and not dedicated to the path. Or when they go down that path and it gets hard, they say, this can't be it. No, no, no. It is the path. When it gets hard, it is the path. And again, we have the freedom to do well. A lot of Christians don't think they have the freedom to do well. I can't do good. I can't say that. I can't do that. Because, no. The cross. And again, we don't do well to please God. He's already pleased with us. We do well because He's pleased with us. We can do well because he already did all the work of the cross. Doing well is not doing work. There may be work involved, but it doesn't make you any better off with God. In fact, you realize the more you do well with him, the more free you are in him. You realize, wow, like I think Pastor John Corson said, you know, if you love God, do what you want. I, I, I'm just starting to understand that. I can do what I want. 
God says, I can literally do what I want in life. I can do whatever I want. But what I want to do is do well. A lot of times I start and want to do what I want. And God says, that's not the good thing. That's not what I want for you. Sometimes it's a struggle to let go of that. But in all honesty, there, there is a lot of freedom in, in doing well and doing what God wants us to do. It's much more freeing to leave a job and not know where the next one is coming from when I know God is leading me to do it. It's much more freeing than going back to that job day after day and knowing that God has a desire for me to be elsewhere. That doesn't mean that I quit my job just because I don't feel like going to work and I'd rather do something else. No, my job now, uh, God's always given me a good job, but the job now enables me to do what I do for the Lord. I wouldn't be able to be here if God didn't provide that job for me. Perhaps he would have done another way, but I think the point I'm trying to make is that if God tells you to stay in a job, stay in it. If he tells you to leave it, leave it, because there will be freedom in your thing. Freedom where he has you. And again, Matthew 20, uh, sorry, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That these things, this doing well, this path that he's laid before us, he's already written it down. He's already drawn it out. He's already picked your route on the spiritual GPS from before the foundations of the world. And all we have to do to do well is walk in that. We don't have to forge our own way. We don't have to make our own way. We don't have to strive to get what we want. We just step back. And listen to him. This is the way. Walk in it. Don't turn to the right or to the left. And again, where we started in Matthew 25, he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And he will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That those good works he's prepared for you is the inheritance he has for you. That as you walk in those things on earth, you get a taste of heaven because they're the same thing. That inheritance you have in heaven is only because you walked in the way that he wanted you to have it. And that inheritance in heaven is not something that you or I earned by our works. But it's something that he gave to us. It's an inheritance. I have small savings accounts for my kids. My kids didn't earn it. I just try and put a little bit of money in there. And they're going to be like, Dad, this is it. I'm 18 and this is all you got for me? I'm like, I'm sorry, buddy. I tried. I tried. And when we get to heaven, God's going to go, this is all I have for you. And you're going to go, what? I didn't earn any of this. He says, yes, but you did well. And Father, we just thank you for that. That God, you want us to do well. That you did the ultimate good for us. You laid your life down for us that we might be free to to follow you and serve you and be free of the ways of the world and the the hamster wheel of the world and the, the rat race. That God, even if we're in it for a season, God, you can help us do well, even in the world and we can do well in the world and, and not have to go the ways of the world. We can be successful in the world and not have to cheat and steal like the world does. But God, you've got something so much bigger for us than a job or a career or even in some sense of family. God, you've got a plan and a purpose for us to serve you and your kingdom and to be like you on the earth. God, free of anything that might hold us down. And God, this morning, anything that's holding us back, we pray that you would just take it and anything that you've been leading us to do, give us the strength to do it. Uh, as God, only you can. And only you can do it in us, God. It's all vain without you. So God, bless my family and my friends and the church and the area. And God, help your church to do well in these last days that people might come and see you. In Jesus' name, amen.